0: This podcast is supported by Health IQ, a life insurance company that celebrates the health conscious, including cyclists. Visit healthiq.com slash honestbicycle to learn more and get a free quote. Or you can check out their Life Insurance Frequently Asked Questions page to get all your questions answered. We're thrilled to have their support, so check them out.
1: All right. Cool. Yes. Oh, you're just waiting for that moment mm-hmm. to open your refreshing Arizona brand iced tea. <laughs> Today's <laughs> episode, iced tea, is not a sponsor of the Honest Bicycle Program.
0: Welcome to the Honest Bicycle Program.
1: Yes. What have you uh, What have Greg... you got
0: going around in, in the background there, Greg? Oh, this asked Maddio from Philadelphia.
1: <laughs> can Can you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. So. I had a bit of a drink problem. I'm trying to correct it, which was that I was like, what? Are you trying to Exciting... correct it via more drink or less drink? I'm trying to correct it via careful mixing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, so, I was looking for delicious bourbon cocktails to try with my fresh new bottle of Woodford Reserve bourbon. Mm. Which is a bourbon that I've mentioned before. Yeah. On this fine podcast that we do. Which is also uh, not sponsored by Woodford Reserve. (laughs) Although, um, you guys have my email, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Call me. So anyway, um, so yeah, I was looking for fine cocktails. Because while normally, for me, Woodford is a sipping bourbon. But, you know, it... It, it seemed like every now and then, every now and then you can class up a cocktail with something a little fancier. Oh yeah, and it's it's been a while since I had some nice bourbon in the house. <laughs> I've been, you know, I've been uh, living on my my man. Uh, what is it, Evan Craig Williams? Evan Williams, whatever. One of the One Evans. cheap ones, something like that. Evan Evan Williams or something like that. I I, I should. <laughs> whiskey aficionados will recognize or cheap whiskey aficionados (laughs) will know what i'm talking about i don't know if they're Um,
0: aficionados if they're aficionados of cheap whiskey i think at that point you just call them drunk people
1: uh i resemble that remark (laughs) but anyway um so i was looking for but i thought i'd make a fancy cocktail sorry sampling my handiwork yeah um and i came upon this thing Called a gold rush, which is basically like making a whiskey sour, except, you know, on ice with honey instead of sugar. And, you know, you've lemon juice in there. Uh, and I was like, that's fine. Uh, like, whiskey sours are fine. They're not my favorite thing. But, you know, with honey, I've got some real good quality honey mm-hmm. right now because I've got some, some uh, uh, what would you call it? Unfiltered raw honey. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd use some of that, and I had I had some nagging doubts uh, about this whole like put whiskey and ice and lemon juice and honey in a shaker, mm-hmm. and and out will come a cocktail ready to enjoy. <laughs> I had some doubts, uh, but I I put those doubts aside. I said, "Greg, you're being a fool." What I'll happened? So what happened over there? Well, the honey, uh, fifteen minutes of shaking. With a like lump of cold honey, mm-hmm. uh, in midst a bunch of other liquid and ice, didn't in, cut it huh? in a shaker. It it uh, it doesn't really do much to disperse that honey. <laughs> in fact, it does. If anything, it anti-disperses the honey. Uh, the honey likes to stick to nothing so much as itself, and so you end up with a giant lump that won't even strain into the glass. So I had to fish the like big lump of honey three quarters of an ounce of honey out of the uh, out of the bottom of the shaker and put it in the drink and I've been ever since slowly using a I have like a mini rubber spatula that I'm using to slowly kind of mix and churn and try and dissolve this lump of honey into my drink all. It's very artistic. You know, I've I've had the
0: same issue with pasta cachoe pepe. Yeah. Where my cheese just clumps together instead uh, of dispersing yeah. throughout the pasta.
1: Have you tried uh, reserving some pasta water and adding little bits of it, like stirring things in, adding some pasta water, let it sit, you know, stir it a bit, let it sit for a minute, add some more pasta water and cheese, stir some more. Have you tried that?
0: I certainly have. I am no stranger to the pasta water use.
1: All right, all right. I'm sure. I mean, you know, you you are a man of Italian ancestry in part. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, from New Jersey. Yeah. So, I just thought I would check. You never know. <laughs> for all I knew, for all I knew, you were like a mama's boy who never cooked. But I know that's not true. Yeah, I know that's You know I'm true. handy in the kitchen. I know you are. Yeah, I know you are. Which is so which is a, which is a now... good thing
0: too, because I am a very hungry person from all of the bicycling. <laughs> which is the theme wow. of tonight's podcast. heading. Uh, right, su-
1: that's true. I, I have now successfully dissolved most of the honey. <laughs> by the way. Uh, so I can now give my review of the Gold Rush cocktail. Yeah, rap at me. Mm. It's fine. It's <laughs> um, fine. It's a little sweet, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, whiskey's already a sweet drink. This is quite sweet. And uh, I will enjoy it, but uh, I think that good old Woodford still maybe more of a sipper than a mixer. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Anyway, maybe we'll talk about... Uh, Let's not talk too much about booze. Well, let's
0: let's segue with this. I'm sure that there are almost 200 professional cyclists who are happy to be perhaps having a drink for the first time in about mm-hmm. three weeks. Uh, now that sure the Grand Tour of France is over.
1: Oh, is it the Grand Tour of France? The Grand
0: Tour of France. So I know that you've been busy with stuff. Have you gotten a chance it's to watch? The,
1: is it the? The Raso Grande. The Raso Grande. <laughs> I'm sorry. Francia. I am. So- I apologize to all of France and Mexico for that one. <laughs> Which,
0: as an American, is
1: just a fair thing to do on the regular. <laughs> you probably, probably, you should just, yeah, <laughs> just do, just go on the internet and say, by the way, as an American, I'm sorry, France and Mexico. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I know that you've been busy lately. How, did you get a chance to watch any of the tour? Or did you Did you get a chance to sort of follow it or stay? in tune
1: um yeah so i mostly i mostly followed it um via you know the twitters Mm -hmm. uh, which is really how i follow bike races these days and it doesn't always work for some because there'll be like a long gap and you won't know what's going on and people will be really excited with the tour there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of tweetage that flies around during the tour (laughs) there is so you can actually get a pretty good picture of what you can really you know pick up all of the necessary uh, sort of bicycle cultural references you'll need for the next year. <laughs>
0: it, um, it actually That actually might be even better than watching it because hmm. let's face it, it, you really have to know a lot about bike racing and pay attention to almost an entire Grand Tour if you want to be able to understand what the stories are. And following Twitter is helpful because other people, whose job it is to do that, tell you what it is. I think it's called journalism.
1: Uh, yeah, that sounds, I don't know, sidebar. I, there's something about the idea of, of cycling journalism that still, it kind of amazes me in a sense that there are people who get paid to write exclusively about cycling.
0: <laughs> Does it like, is that like an enviable situation or is it like a little bit overinflated to call it journalism instead of sport names? Uh,
1: I, I mean I don't I think that might be a dangerous rabbit hole to go down. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a yes,
0: but not on the record. Uh,
1: I don't want to pass. I don't want to pass judgment mm-hmm. uh, at all. I mean, and in, in that while that might sound like a prelude to me then passing judgment, it actually mm-hmm. is is not. I just I just think that we take it for granted that like well yes we have fine uh, uh, news outlets such as. Uh, fellownews.com news.com and cyclingnews.com and cycling tips and so on and so forth mm-hmm. where there are people who you know exist who exist i mean that's not what they exist for but are paid you know entirely to go travel around the world and tell us about bike races that's kind of remarkable yeah uh so anyway I, just whenever it's like i think i think i've had the rant before about how people say ah, cycling isn't professional it's enough and it's like we have an entire endemic journalistic <laughs> following core yeah yeah it's it's fine oh and as far as like doing that all the time i just like i'm amazed that people have the uh you know that they can they can dive that deep into it and remain engaged (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i feel that way about many subjects that might sound like a strange yeah. thing for well i think a i don't know it's, a cycling podcast to say but whatever
0: it's been interesting watching some of the big media outlets kind of shift as of course the internet does what the internet does you know i mean I, you remember how cycling news used to be when it was just these like
1: sort of long lists of facts about what happened in a, in a race and oh yeah well you know it was it was they had the articles well they had like the just like a news digest that would come out mm-hmm. essentially yeah where and it was like your basic html page yeah extremely with like some you know have a picture at the top maybe uh and then at some point they could do in the middle yeah but it that was i don't know around because i started reading them i don't know around 2007 or something and it was like them in velo news that was the only yeah. source
0: and, Ve- and velo news has shifted a lot uh lately i don't know how lately though you know doing doing some like really i guess like light entertaining stuff with their like garbage takes and their sort of lighthearted columns and then also, you know, publishing some really I think well-done uh deep dives into people and their stories.
1: Yeah, they went they went in that latter direction first and and sort of in the last year or two have also added this attempt to have a more I don't even know what to call it like gonzoy kind of or just like garbage media approach uh (laughs) and i think well and this is not i mean you know i i i think that they're attempting to be tongue-in-cheek about it yeah or self-aware about it uh i'm not so sure it always works but hey you know uh, we're just two guys on a podcast so (laughs) (laughs) So if we want to talk about garbage media, we know where to start. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, basically, your mileage may vary, but we we, we digress. I think because we were talking about the Tour de France. So here's and we got into here's like journalism.
0: my 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 dream experience. Like, how do I put this? Every time I think about what a grand tour is, I I hope that at some point somebody in my life, uh, who doesn't know anything about bike racing, will be sufficiently interested to like ask me what i find appealing about it and to sort of explain this fairly confusing sporting event and let's face it like Mm -hmm. i think bike racing is in general is confusing because one football game has the same set of rules as another football game and this is not the case for bike racing and i'm not even talking about different disciplines i'm like like a grand tour is different from a different stage race is different from a one-day race and like uh, i remember remember i remember being really confused when i first started to pay attention to grand tours when i i was struggling to wrap my head around the fact that it was a different course each year like how is it the same race what makes it the same race i mean can you what makes it the same race
1: the name well sure well that was also that's also the case with the one-day races too right that the courses often are not completely co- like some of them have uh the same course but it's only been that way for a few years and they changed it a few years yeah. some of them regularly kind of mix and match different bits yeah um i don't know i th- for some reason i found that out relatively early on and it didn't shake me too much it was kind of like okay <laughs> like they go different places it's just and do if,
0: if somebody had told me that i would have understood it immediately mm-hmm. because i had to like find it out myself it it just the fact that I was beginning to understand contradicted what I would have assumed, and so it was hard to have that
1: contradiction. You know, I was like, wait, which is it? That doesn't make sense. You know? I just didn't until I actually kind of sat down to watch A Tour de France with Mm -hmm. the intent of following it all the way through. Didn't didn't really understand anything about how it worked, but you know, because what I'd heard about it in media was like, well, it's based on time or maybe i'd heard that but you know you can win the whole race without winning a stage mm-hmm. you know the individual race. you know it's a, one race is made up of a whole bunch of races that each take place on successive days and, and,
0: and, and, and not everybody's racing the same race like it's okay that this person is gonna lose this race and then race tomorrow it's fine well
1: but then it gets into but you know that's before you get into the like, even if even if your kind of naive take on it would be, well, of course, everybody's trying their hardest to win every day. You know, even if that's kind of what you think, you know, that's fine, because you have to get your head around the fact that like, wait, hang on a minute. This guy, as actually just happened in the Tour de France, didn't win a single one of these one day races that makes up the race. <laughs> and yet is considered the best guy and everyone is like wow he was so good holy cow what an impressive guy mm-hmm. so so it was difficult and for example you know i started following cycling closely essentially right after lance armstrong's run of uh quote victories unquote, quote <laughs> reign in the t- france the reign of t- sure sure and um you know i didn't it, having not seen the race it was like and not knowing how it worked but having ridden some bikes myself and maybe having some idea of what was going on like especially having watched like the 2006 (laughs) first tour de france i watched was the 2006 tour de france um yeah go figure um what an experience and i was like okay so even having seen this like what What's the big deal about, like, Lance and how is everyone... Oh, he's so amazing, whatever. So, I, I... You know, YouTube had just become a thing, and I pulled up some videos of Lance doing his Lancey things in various <laughs> stages. Like, that was when it began to kind of click.
0: Wait, no, Lance wasn't in the 2006
1: one. No, I know he wasn't. Oh, okay. I'm... Got, oh, so you But you're, that you're was the track. one where... Where... That was... Yeah, I'm just saying that that was the one where... Uh, so, I didn't... I hadn't seen him racing, for example, mm-hmm. until I pulled up YouTube videos, but... You know, into 2006 was a weird place to start because you know Floyd Landis won it and then didn't win it, right? Uh, because of doping, and then you know Oscar Pereiro won it, but I mean, let's be honest, Oscar Pereiro was up to his eyeballs on <laughs> on drugs. So, yes, good special times. It was really quite a time to come into cycling fandom, right as everything was falling apart. So. Uh, but yeah, so so I don't know. Uh, I I might be rambling a little bit, but yeah, I mean it's a little bit confusing and and but yeah, to see a guy like crushing everyone, oh except he's with this one other guy, except this one other guy is like ten minutes behind him on GC, so who cares, right? You know, so maybe that guy wins the stage. Uh, but Lance is still ahead of everyone else who matters. So yeah. I don't know. It's it is weird. It, is and I'm don't you,
0: don't you think it would be fun to have an interested person in your life, like? <clears throat> listen to you for a little while like talk about this and and give you the opportunity to try and explain it and break it down in a way and then have them ask whatever weird basic stupid or sort of you know that certain ignorant insight that comes from somebody not knowing a lot about a thing
1: i don't know i'm at a point in my life where i start feeling uncomfortable doing lots of explaining things to people
0: why do you have a podcast
1: (laughs) 'Cause I'm just talking to you. <laughs> I'm not explaining it's things. It's just to us. You. It's just us here. It's just us. It's just you and me.
0: And we're uh Yeah.
1: Yeah. So alright, I don't know. so I, I don't know where you were going with this exactly, but the Tour de France happened. It happened. Right? The two thousand the two thousand seventeen edition, which had a different route from the two thousand sixteen edition. <laughs> It did. Uh, it went on some different roads and went on some, some roads that had been used in Tours de France prior. Prior Tours. And uh, a guy won it. I thought so So we talked about this a few weeks ago. We did. Uh, and maybe we should just briefly rehash what we said, right? Because you said that you thought that Chris Froome was going to put his stamp of authority on it Mm -hmm. and ride away, you know, basically crush everyone early like he like he does. And just it would then be a boring uh, procession to Paris. And it turns out that I was both wrong and right at the same time. You were right. So you were you were wrong because Froome never looked super convincing. Right. But he did win and it was a boring procession to Paris. Well, and also his stamp
0: of authority was his time-trialing ability on stage one, which is where he got all the time
1: uh, that he mm-hmm. used to defeat Iran. Hmm. Well, he, he, you know, he added to that on the last time trial, to be fair. Yeah. But, but, yes. Bits and pieces, though. Right. So, you know, it, it, it was a win. It was not a devastating knockout win. Right. I heard. I wonder. I wonder what you think of this. Actually, um, I heard it compared on the Cycling Podcast, which is another podcast about cycling. <laughs> As by we've we've discussed journalists before. They are apparently journalists and know something about the sport, and said uh, compared it to the 2011 win by Cadell Evans, which was called uh, a not really. You know, it, it basically basically they said. Cadell Evans won in kind of similar, uh, not dominating fashion in in what was also not a vintage edition of the Tour de France, and and I did a double take at that because while I think that it's actually an interesting comparison in that that was also a tight race all the way through, I remember 2011 as being the best Tour de France I've ever watched.
0: I, one of my the most like memorable Tour de France stages happened for me happened uh in uh in that race and i and i think i've probably described it on on the honest bicycle program before but i just remember i assume Cadell was in yellow and i remember andy schleck attacking really early on a high mountain stage and getting like minutes Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like minutes uh And Cadell gets to the foot of the final climb with a group of GC favorites. And Schleck is, like, two minutes up the road, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Cadell just puts his hands in the drops and starts plugging away at the climb. And I'm thinking, like, I was, like, kind of a Cadell fan at this point because the whole, like, Cadell-Evans renaissance around the World Championships I just loved. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, like, I feel kind of bad for him. You know, he's always wanted to win a Grand Tour. He's in like the closing years of his career, he's in yellow. This is a great chance, but he is chasing down this gap.
1: So he wasn't in yellow, but go on. He wasn't? Okay. But but he was,
0: you know, close to it. Who was in yellow at the time? Uh,
1: Tommy Vokaler
0: probably. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. So, yeah, he's just plugging away, and I was like, he is just going to eat wind until he gets punked and 4K from the top of the climb. Someone's going to attack him, and just he's going to lose minutes. And instead what happened was, like I said, he put his hands in the drops and he closed that gap to Andy. So he didn't shut it all the way down, but he, I think he took it to within like 30 seconds, Um uh, mm-hmm. rode people off of his wheel one by one and won the tour on that stage. I think by eliminating yeah. that gap on that climb.
1: Yeah. And by, well, so, so, the, so yes, I remember that stage very clearly too as being the exact same thing as when, cadel won the tour and it was because they get to the foot of the climb and all the favorites are just looking at each other and looking at him and instead of instead of playing the same game cadel evans you know cadel was like well uh, this is my tour i guess yeah and he took the entire responsibility for the race and was like screw you all and just rode just hard tempo up that climb in the wind all by himself for like 11 kilometers uphill
0: it was a hu- it was a huge cl- it was some iconic climb <laughs> yeah. i don't remember oh it was yeah. the was it the, was the tourmalade
1: wasn't it or the glibier was it the glibier, the glibier or the Tourmalet, i don't remember which but it was one of those big iconic climbs yeah
0: and and that's there probably there aren't a whole lot of moments in a grand tour when you know a color commentator could could say we may be seeing this grand tour come down to this moment right now there there are a lot of potential moments you know any given climb in in this past 2017 tour a color commentator could say if something happens on this climb it could be decisive in the tour but it's not okay all the pieces are absolutely set up and we've got people up the road and down the road and what happens now may determine the tour
1: yeah but that was a that was a time when that did happen it
0: it it laid bare the story of the bicycle race
1: yeah so so to to bring it back around to the comparison with 2017 mm. um you know and and my disagreement with the, the fact that 2011 was not a particularly good edition of the tour i think the comparison is, is interesting because they were both tight tours until the end. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't you know between the real favorites anyway, there wasn't a whole lot of separation uh, up until the last like two stages maybe. Um but the difference was uh, but it, it, and yet somehow that there was suspense. You know, you didn't really know what was going to happen in that race. There was real tension um whereas this race felt even not having really watched most of the stages kind of in myself There just wasn't much of a sense of tension or drama because, and I think it's partly, you know, partly just the raw events of what was going on. Because in 2011, uh, you you had 10 days in the yellow jersey by Tommy Vogler, who, who of course, has just retired after this Mm -hmm. Tour de France, in fact, um, six years later. And you had. uh, Guys going up the road like that and taking you know big chances. I mean that Andy Schleck raid was an old school move uh, <laughs> that that people hadn't done in a few years. You know you actually had you had as you're seeing uh, now a lot of the time people not making much difference on the climbs. They were sort of afraid to take risks and you saw you saw guys taking risks and, and going out and getting gaps and and fighting and uh, you know so there was there was real tension like things could actually happen uh, whereas. This year, you know, pe- the, the, the leaders are pretty much all climbing together all the time and never really made any gaps yeah. on the climb. So, yeah, and, and then, you know, there's the broader context where 2011 is here where there, there kind of wasn't a clear favorite to win. Alberto Contador was there, but he was sort of right in the middle of his uh, CAS, uh, Court of Arbitration for Sport case, that would ultimately, in fact, see his results um, nullified from mm-hmm. the Giro, and, which he had won, and from that tour. Uh, and he wasn't kind of at his best. And you had the Schlecks, who, you know, it, Andy Schleck wasn't the official winner yet, I don't think, of the 2010 Tour de France. <laughs> and, you know, they didn't have the, the obvious pedigree of Contador. You had... Evans, who had been the bridesmaid, you know, at least once, uh, probably a couple times already by then, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so there was, and had had a wretched performance on GC the year before when he broke his elbow. Uh, Yeah. So, man, just, just very different context from then, you know, coming in, and, and there wasn't, you know, there was no team that had the kind of dominance and power that Sky has.
0: There were, you Uh, know, it was. There were a really nice few years between the Lance era and the Sky era where things were really up in the air, and I know it's hard to say that without getting into the whole context about doping and the shakeup, and those all really went together, um, I think. But if you if you do a sort of fictional thing and kind of step back and and you know look at the the Lance era. And then the you know there was a, a time in there when I guess it was like kind of the contador era um but there in were just there were just a lot of different winners of the Tour de France um, we
1: had up through 2015 or something like that we had only one repeat winner yeah from, from sorry from like, from 2006 to the to 2015 mm-hmm Or or fourteen, I guess. Actually, you know, you had this eight-year period where uh, only one person had won more than one edition of the race. Yeah, uh, which was. A gift, I think, honestly. And also, maybe it seemed, it seemed to herald me a little bit more of a return to normalcy, at least once I, I had a little bit more experience with kind of being able to recognize, you know, or at least have a sense of, like, this performance looks real and this doesn't and all that. Mm-hmm. And it, But there was this weird thing where people had become so conditioned to this idea that someone who is just massively above everyone else and wins multiple editions uh, of the Tour de France, like, you know, not just like two, but like four or five or six was just like a normal thing. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I remember after Chris Froome won, won in 2013 and he came out with this quote saying, yeah, I'd like to win, you know, six Tours de to France or whatever. Uh, and people were just like, yeah, that'll happen. Like people just accepted that this was the Chris Froome era, which which I, I found kind of shocking and in, in a little bit, like it it annoyed me at the time. It was like people were just like, yeah, I guess that's what's gonna happen. And it was like come on, like f- throughout the history of this race, this has been unusual. It's just that in recent history it's been been a thing you know, and of course now he's who knows maybe he's gonna make good on that, but uh people people get treated as far more of a sure thing mm-hmm. than than it really is
0: it would be really nice to see him like, soundly defeated in, like, a head-to-head tour with somebody. And, you well, know... What do you mean
1: by that? Do you have it out for Chris Froome? Uh,
0: you know, when it... Like, I also got a little bit bored of, like, Cancellara during his most dominant years, because, like, while, <laughs> yeah. while I love seeing some really dominant bike racing, I love the uncertainty of bike racing, too. And when you... When you watch some bike races where it's not as if something is a foregone conclusion, but something starts to feel really familiar and really routine and mm-hmm. maybe at that point kind of predictable, then at that point, it's uh, it's more exciting to see greats toppled than to see them extend their legacy.
1: Yeah, or or at least to have... Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and this is probably... Part of why, I, I you know, <laughs> I don't want to make anyone angry, <laughs> but oh, I, I might be more of a, you know, between Wright Boone and in, in Conchalara that I'm sort of more of a Boone and Partisan because, you know, with his later, it's and it's funny because, right, it's not like Tom Bonin was the underdog. <laughs> <laughs> like at any point in his career, like right. he's the, the most successful uh Classics rider after Eddie Merckx, basically, you know, arguably more so depending on what you look at. But, you know, you could see in the last half of his career how he had to work for it. Yeah, more. Yeah. Like, you didn't know. He was more mercurial, in a way, than Conchilara was, who had this period from 2011 to 2000— 2000, or 2010, rather, through 2013 or something, where he was—he seemed unstoppable, apart from that blip in 2012, I guess. But <laughs> he just he, he could not be stopped. Yeah. And I guess also never had kind of the off-the-bike drama that that <laughs> <laughs> But, you know— <laughs> but yeah, so so I know what you mean. It's like I I, uh, I don't have anything against Chris Froome, really. Like he he doesn't get me too excited. He doesn't warm the cockles of my heart. I you know yeah I I was at least glad to see him actually racing his bike with some vim and verve in two thousand sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was good. It was like oh look, you can go downhill fast too. Um, but you know it it is i guess the the classic like the classic thing of of you want to see dynasties unseated yeah um yeah i don't have and, anything against yeah. him
0: either but i i think he has something against me he uh chris room blocked me on twitter
1: hmm that's odd did you make fun of him
0: i probably made a
1: joke about elbows
0: well if i had to guess i mean so i definitely made a joke about elbows at some point i don't even remember what, it, what the <laughs> joke was but if i had to guess anything it was probably that because it's not like i don't know it, uh, it does it did make me uh think about the fact that you know there there are these like public figures who have this kind of public life but it also sort of personally uh, that you might have maybe affect him maybe maybe he again. like saw a tweet i probably didn't even tag him maybe he was just like searching chris room on twitter i don't know yeah stranger things have happened uh so and he saw yeah, him and was I, like oh man like don't be talking about my body like that <laughs> and that's fair i he might have a team a team <laughs> he might that? have a team it wasn't him like alone <laughs> in the bus some evening
1: i know i think that is like his his wife is his pr person or something <laughs> so Dang. maybe that's it i don't know but you know, i mean you know he seems okay with people talking about him looking at stems but uh maybe maybe talking about how how many elbows he has is a step too far perhaps perhaps Perhaps. that's fair i accept that i accept that
0: i will take my blocking uh with all the i accept that responsibility of not being able to read his tweets
1: So I I don't know. So so I kind of on the note of seeing dynasties toppled and having the uncertainty. I mean, you want to see things like, oh, I don't know, um, a win on the Champs Elysees by a tour debutante sprinter who's (laughs) an up and comer, but who hasn't quite cracked through.
0: Now, let me go ahead. Let me go ahead and, and say something about that because yes. <laughs> Dylan Groenewegen won on the champs I mean, I say
1: a former dust champion. I mean, he's not a nobody, but yeah. you know. But he's
0: not but he's not really winning sprints in fields like, you know, Gripel, Kittel, Gav, mm-hmm. Kristoff, mm-hmm. right? So, I I think we talked about on our last episode how I thought that this this sprint field was one of the one of the strongest ones we've seen in a Grand Tour. In a long time. Right before
1: everybody left it? Like, holy crap.
0: Yeah, so we had four major departures between Cavendish's injury, Sagan's boot, uh, which, you know, obviously opinions. Um, Yep. Damar getting time cut, and Kittel essentially crashing out. Yeah. In addition to that, you know, we had had Kristoff and Greipel who were never really looking like they were going to seal the deal. And then we had sort of what what I considered to be a surprise of Edvald Bosenhagen getting really close on a couple of stages.
1: And then getting one.
0: Well yeah, but 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 coming close in a in a bunch a of A true sprints. field sprint. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So as I was uh thinking about the last few stages, I was thinking like, okay, there are two sprint stages left. I was wrong. One of them wound up being a breakaway stage, the one that Bosenhagen won. And I said mm-hmm on an internet forum I said Bosenhagen is a good pick because he had the most speed in that stage that Matthews won Mm -hmm. uh, in the third week he came from so far back because he cornered really badly uh, lost a ton ton of wheels and then made them all up in the final 100-150 meters Um, and I also said but for the Champs-Élysées I don't think there's a clear favorite and I think the best bet is a dark horse like Gronowagen. I wasn't I I'll hedge a little bit. I didn't exactly say I predict that Dylan Gronewagen will win. Uh Uh-huh. But I said it's a good
1: bet. It can be um it can be a surprising sprint. It can also be a very unsurprising sprint. Right. <laughs> the Champs Elysees. It seems that recently it's been relatively unsurprising. I mean, Andre Greipel won it two years in a row. Uh, before that, oh gosh, Cavendish has won it a bunch of times. Like a
0: jillion times, uh, yeah.
1: Did Kristoff win? Yeah. It, it, uh, maybe he did the year before Greipel's too. That could be right because he had that year where he was like unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think has Kittle done it. No, I don't think so. Uh, but then, you know, on the other hand, you do have uh, the year Gert Stiegmans won it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of hope. And I, I did think of that with with Grunewagen. Uh Stiegmanns was a little older at that point, right? It was kind of an established player who was also sort of a known quantity in terms of uh, a guy who's a good sprint, but seem to be more comfortable as a lead out guy
0: mm-hmm.
1: than than a designated sprinter seem to have you know be more successful at bringing other people their success you know yeah um you know where so so growing away is a different situation but you know it i don't want to say it'd be a shame to have a career like Gert diegman's because i think he had a really good <laughs> career yeah <laughs> you know um, but it's the kind of thing you always hope that it's like not a fluke I guess is what I'm saying right that it's not a one-off that it's like a sign of great things to come
0: yes and I, as it as I think you we try and make sense of things in, in bike racing you know we try and say things like oh the Vuelta is important prep for worlds oh you know Petnisblad is a great race to win and predicts future classic success but not in the same year like we try and find a narrative because you know you you hope for stuff like that you don't want you want your races to have meaning. And this, you know, the the field sprint on the champs Say is like, it's like the sprinter's world championship.
1: Mm-hmm. Essentially. Yeah, no. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What do you think of, uh, so what do you think of Michael Matthews in the green jersey? Well, I put him on the fantasy team. My fellow mm. games fantasy cycling team. Um, so that worked out okay.
0: That worked out pretty good. I, you know, I, I loved the way he raced. I think he, you know, it would have been very different if Sagan was in it, but I think he could have given Sagan a run for his money. It's really hard to say what those five stages that Kittel won would have been like had Sagan and Cav been in there. Yeah. Um, I don't think that Michael Matthews like would have won if Sagan were still in the race, but. I loved the way he raced. I loved the fact that he was getting into the break every day in order to get those intermediate points. He was also, mm-hmm. you know, scooping up King of the Mountain points to, uh, to prevent other people from taking them away from Bargi, his teammate. And um, hmm. the other thing I noticed was one of those little short stages that started out on a climb. He must have heard that Kittel was suffering at the back because he, like, attacked and bridged to the breakaway. And I, I think that was the, the really hard stage that he wound up winning where Sunweb right. like had Sunweb like caught the breakaway at a hundred K to go and rode at the front to deliver Matthews
1: to the win. win. <laughs> right. <laughs> that hurts to think about. <laughs> That's just so grim. If you've ever been having if you've ever been, you know, in a bike race where, you know, there's a fair bit to go, but the break is coming back. You, Everyone knows the break is coming back. You know, you can just see it. And, like, you can see guys are just so eager to go for it as soon as they're within, like, a couple seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then just imagine, like, okay, your job is to keep any of those eager beavers from getting away. <laughs> For a hundred kilometers. It just, ugh. Makes my stomach churn just thinking about it. It's just so awful. Because it's like, man, in that situation, like, people are like, this is my shot. Like, I'm gonna do it. (laughs) And there are probably 50 dudes. In that field thinking, oh, man, this break is coming back so early. This never happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be like two stages. We're going to go again.
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> imagine, being, imagine that being a day when it's like your your day to just like recover and hang out in the back. you know going to be like, are you freaking kidding me?
0: Yeah. We're not going to get to sit up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this is going to suck a lot. Yeah. Just 100 kilometers of, I assume, pretty much lined out racing
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the middle of a three-week stage race. Yeah. That sucks.
0: Yeah, not like the kind of riding tempo where, like, the break has five minutes and you want to pull it down to three in the next 30 kilometers. But the, like, mm-hmm. the kind of, like, much hotter tempo of,
1: like, no one's getting away. We're keeping yeah. this together. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, kudos to them for being able to pull that off, honestly, because that's a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that um, I'm not sure whether to feel bad for Michael Matthews uh, or, or, I mean, right, you can't feel bad for him. He's got the green jersey, but like, I, I think there's there's this sense that is going to be hard for him to maybe escape, as I think has happened before, right, of being the the beneficiary of other people's poor luck. Yeah, but I think he's really, like, he's a really good bike racer. He you know, he deserves the, yeah. the you know, uh, success he's had, right? I'm not trying to say he doesn't. I think that it, it'd be easy to get, I don't know. I, I just feel like a little bit, it's, uh, I think it's a shame that he's had the success when, you know, it's been, it's so easy to say like, oh, all these guys, you know, right got dq'd or Mm -hmm. crashed or whatever yeah he didn't this year he didn't crash right right so i think that counts
0: for a lot i think one of the reasons that it's that way with him is that he's he's just one of those riders who is kind of defies classification like yeah obviously he's a sprinter but he's not a pure grand tour field sprinter he's he's kind of this like classic like how specific is this he's a classics uphill finish sprinter
1: without much of a classics record right but i know what
0: you mean but sort of this like this kind of one day a hard one day kind of thing yeah i know i just looked at i just looked at his palm hires because i was sure that he got some like respectable finishes in some ardennes races but yeah he you know respectable finishes in the ardennes He's got, that's he's not bad actually those. for a sprinter. Yeah. No, in in. Even he got fourth at Liège this year.
1: Oh, that's right. He did do really. He did have a really good Liège this year. I yeah, forgot about that.
0: Liège, which so. can be won by a certain type of sprinter.
1: Mm-hmm. In yeah. a certain type of race. Yeah. So. I feel like that race should be more exciting than it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's maybe another one of those ones that's uh so hard that uh you it almost neutralizes itself mm-hmm. uh all right so i don't know i feel like we should we've been we've been yapping for a while so here's here's what i want to pivot to a In little bit did, did you did you watch la course i i did no i did not so the
0: format was on two non-consecutive days there was a there was a road race that finished, uh, Uphill on uh, the Izoard. Izoard?
1: Was it the Izoard? That sounds right.
0: Yeah. Um, And then two days after that, there was a, for the top 20 finishers, a start that was handicapped by the results of the previous stage. So you take the people who are the fastest and you start them first, um, which I think is a stupid format
1: yeah isn't that the reverse of a actual handicap of race? like
0: a like a track style handicap yeah race yeah
1: well it doesn't even make i mean it wasn't even it doesn't even make sense to call it a handicap if you're gonna you know start yeah. by yeah in that way it doesn't make sense to call it a
0: handicap so this this made me think about a you know it was a absolute damn shame that there wasn't a women's race on the champs Elysees because the recent year that there was where anna van der Bregen sold it away it was way more excited i mean way more exciting than a you know whatever sprint finish um, yeah
1: oh yeah i think dropping that i think dropping that is a mistake on like I, I i think that there are reasons to to uh be intrigued by this new format for it which is kind of hammer series-esque you know in mm-hmm. terms of trying to trying new things but just the she in terms of the sheer showcase value of having uh you know a women's race on the champs. like i mean come on
0: absolutely anyway. absolutely and then I uh, I recently came across an article about the uh, Marianne Martin, who won the Tour de France in 1984, the first year that they had the Tour de France for women, um, which was mm-hmm. for the first many years, a full three-week long
1: Grand Tour. Well, I think that was for two years. Two, it was only for two years? I think it was only for two years that it was a full three-week Grand Tour. Okay. Or maybe it was 15 stages or so. it was, It was a pretty big... But yeah, there was a while when it was like you know, a, a pretty big deal—the real, the like real freaking deal, the, the real thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's and it's to see, you know, I I think it was great that um, the ASO provided Lacourse a few years ago for the first time in a while, um, and that you know it, it's it's good that they're doing it again. You know, two stages this year, but considering what it could be and how. Good, the women's professional peloton is right now it just seems like a missed opportunity to provide the best race for some of the best frickin' bike racers in the world
1: yeah yeah well you know i i think that i think that if it was both and kind of you know if they did this weird format and had the the race on the champs that would be fine and and even like if they want to experiment with this weird format like that's cool Uh, so I I don't know the details of the time trial. Was it an uphill time trial as well? Uh, Because that might be a problem. But, you know, the the reasoning behind doing the reversed handicap kind of makes sense in— Well, I mean, if you think about it in a certain way, which is that you can then see in real time— The finish. The finish. Well, if you're counting, like, a a GC— from yeah. it basically which i believe they did right so then you can see in real time as the time trial goes on like how the riders are doing relative to one another like that's kind of a cool idea like oh maybe you didn't do as well in this uh uh you know whatever hill climb race but look she's clawing back time is she going to catch the leader uh, whatever um uh, and that could be exciting that could cause some tension as it happens uh Von Vluten is just on such another level right now. Like she's having such a great season that she just blew everyone's doors off in the time trial as well. <laughs> isn't, <laughs> so. it, isn't it so great that she didn't die in the Olympics? <laughs> oh my God, it's so great for so many reasons. Uh, I mean, you know, I feel that way about uh, Mauricio Soler too. Uh, it's really good he didn't die in the Tour de Suisse a few years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, despite the fact that he never raced his bike again. i'm glad he's alive um but but yeah uh uh there's there's potential there right it's a good idea and, and in a way it might have been undone by the fact that you know you do have a rider who is you know right right von vluten is like the megan garnier of last spring right now mm-hmm. like no one can figure out how to beat her she's just so good right now she's like the mariana Voss of you know 2008 through 2015 mm-hmm. right like <laughs> pretty unstoppable yeah um and i think that's that's gonna make things like this a challenge right it's you know in a way it's the same challenge with making a tour de france that's more interesting it, you know that isn't just on complete lockdown by a dominant rider slash team so, yeah, uh, but I, I think it's I think it's magnified when there's kind of no the thing about the Tour de France is that you can at least find other stories to follow. Right. Whereas with the course, it's like you have two stages. They kind of play um, probably they probably play a little bit too much to the same kind of characteristics, like the same strengths. Um, and that makes it harder to find compelling stories that aren't like Omnique von Vluten just blew everyone's doors off
0: yeah i uh i respect that you brought you sort of brought that full circle to this notion of many stories which is what we started off by uh by talking about Grand Tour being yeah. uh, being many stories
1: yeah so i uh i don't know any 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 ones uh any of those stories that uh we haven't mentioned that kind of really, I don't know, caught your fancy or spoke to you this year?
0: Hmm. I I really loved seeing uh, AG2R, La Mondiale, mm-hmm. Ajed, um, kind of line it out at the front once in the grand scheme of things, they realized that Bardet was going really well, climbing better than Froome, and that it was possible that Froome could be on the ropes. I mean, yeah. They I would say they 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 really took the fight to Chris Froome. It, it's
1: it's it's nice to see that it's nice to be at a point where like a few French wins in the Tour de France doesn't have everyone talking about what a great year the French are having. <laughs> yeah. It's like we're finally at a point where where underperformance by the French riders isn't just kind of taken for granted. Yeah uh I, yeah i think that it's really exciting to see Bardet going. see this is the second time on the podium right? yeah i mean second
0: consecutive year that's that's really yeah great.
1: so so um there's you know if, i think he's said outright that he finds riding his time trial bike boring which uh you know if he wants to win it he might need to change his approach but uh, i respect the honesty yeah um but you know it'd be nice to see him uh go one better you know that'd be cool um no pressure on young uh monsieur bardet uh (laughs) in terms of things you know what how young is he uh i he's probably mid-20s at this point yeah still quite young still i think he's still on the young side you know i it's funny because i remember when everyone was talking about like uh jeremy raw is the kind of up-and-coming guy and all of a sudden he's like he's like an old guy like us <laughs> uh, or older actually yeah but that's that's uh <laughs> that's the passage of time <laughs> uh. does that to all of us but uh, though you know perhaps uh, in a more pronounced way with people who are at the top of the sport uh, rather than us uh, since since I still have nowhere to go but up with respect to my personal cycling career um, <laughs> But uh, one thing that was nice to see was the resurgence of Cannondale drawback. Like, not just in terms of... Like, yeah, Uran riding high and getting that stage win, and I guess that's been the focus this year, right, at the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they seem to have shaken... People, people have said, you know, once you're on a roll, you're on a roll and, it, and, and things get a lot better pretty quick. But it's been gratifying to see them continue the trend. You know, they finally managed to get... Uh, I think a stage win in the Giro, I want to say.
0: Yeah, so I mean, er, early this year, the talk about Cannondale is, wow, they haven't had a World Tour win in two years or something. They went over two years, and yep. um, they've had a, a, a bunch of wins this year. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, a, a a bunch, a conservative bunch, but yeah. So Iran had a great tour. Um, Boulon's Pier- win was epic. Pieroulon, yeah. Piroulon won a couple of races this spring. And okay. some other stuff, too. Oh, Tolanski won some stuff in California.
1: Is there a race in California?
0: Yeah. Uh, the, Giro
1: California. <laughs> the Giro de California. The Giro de California. Yeah. <laughs> they should go with that. That's, that's free from us. Giro de California. Uh, yeah, so I've been I've been glad to see that. Uh, and as far as anything else goes, I don't know. Uh, like you know, I haven't followed it super closely. Um, one, uh, you could say, boy, that I, I don't know how true this is, but it's 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 maybe we're seeing the stranglehold of Chris Froome loosening a bit, possibly. Yeah, Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. But it'd be nice to see, you know, unlike this year where while he looked like he might be vulnerable, apart from like one little moment, he never really looked in danger. Mm -hmm. Um, He never really looked like he was in trouble. Like, oh, he might lose time here. Like he never had to limit his losses, you know? He never had to, like, let someone go up the road and just ride his own pace and hope it right. you know? Like, it'd be nice to see something more like that. Mm-hmm. Like, even if he wins, which, you know, it'd be nice to see it be a real... People really feeling like, oh, this is my chance to really... And, you know, not just one time. Mm-hmm. But people really feeling like, this is my chance to, to really... Uh, uh, <laughs> Put Chris Froome in the grave. Yeah, right so, something like speaking. between
0: the fourth and fifth climbs on the day, you know. Right, exactly, exactly. So
1: we'll see. But but yeah, uh, so I don't know. We've, we've talked. I, I, I want to let you yap yeah, some more because I've, I've talked a bit. But like that's, you know, we've just spent almost an hour on the 2017 Tour de France, a race that I barely watched. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, here's here's what I have to say about the 2017 Tour de France.
0: The, the fact that we, you know... We spent an hour on it. It it was a three thousand five hundred forty kilometer long bike race. So I think, yeah, you know, spending an hour on it is okay. I think I, I think we've covered, We've said about what there is to say about a bike race that was won in
1: eighty
0: six hours. It took eighty
1: six hours to win. Oh man, that's so crazy. As I've done, I've done one stage race ever, mm-hmm. and it was three days, and it felt like about a year. Yeah. So. That's just like it. Really, it doesn't stop blowing my mind, you know. Especially when people talk about like, oh, the shorter stage races, the one-week stage races, or whatever. It's like that's a really long time really long to time. race
0: your bike. And it really drives home the difference between endurance athletes and.
1: And Jamoak's like us. And, J- yeah. and
0: Jabroni's like us. And the people back in the Jabron zone. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well in the track. But, like, the demands of a race that is much shorter than an hour is just so different from the demands of a race that is 86 hours long. Well,
1: but, like, you know, I am, I mean, and look, we have jobs, right? Uh, so, I mean, jobs that are not riding our bikes. Mm-hmm. So, so that's obviously a different situation. Aside from having, you know, relatively normal human being genetics, um, presumably, anyway. Uh, But, boy, I'm doing, I I am training uh, and trying to get fit um, for kind of the late summer and cross season. And I'm not, it's not like I'm doing a ton. I'm finally starting to, like, feel a little bit like my old self, whatever. But I'm doing, like, you know, little local crits and whatever. I am tired all the time. Yeah man. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired all the time and I am training I don't know, not not cuz I've been doing a few more races lately and so, you know, I'm giving myself time to recover. And I'm not really digging a deep base hole right now. <laughs> but that's <laughs> yeah. I regret that term. But <laughs> but you know, I'm not I'm not doing that so much. And I'm just I'm just wiped. Yeah. I'm toasted. And it's just like building the base. To survive a three week grand tour, let alone ride, you know, near the front for three weeks, is it just it's still if it, if anything, it boggles my mind more now than it did when I first encountered the concept. Yeah.
0: yeah, I remember, you know, some people posting their data after the first week and it's like, you know, twenty two hundred TSS in a week. Oh, <laughs> Right, yeah. which is a lot.
1: It's just a lot. It's a high number. That's a high number a lot of for training stress score. So yeah, I mean, in like to to people who don't uh, kind of aren't in the weeds of the whole training stress, whatever, whatever. Uh, a really heavy week for I don't know for me anyway. For a lot of amateur racers, would be 800 TSS. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, that's a big week. Uh, if you're if you're over 800, let alone what almost three times that i mean that's that's pretty hardcore yeah but i mean they have you know as long as we're throwing as long as we're banding these terms around they've got probably ctls in them you know well over 150 or something so it's you know really high <laughs> which means yeah which means they have the they have the base to handle it <laughs> essentially but it, it's still it's still kind of I mean, you know, in, in guys go, you know, these guys go to the tour and are like blown away themselves at how how blasted they are. Yeah. Like how hard it is. Yeah. So, you know, the, like <laughs> it's hard for the pro riders, forget about <laughs> Forget about the Jerome zone. A dude like us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, anyway. Uh yeah, boy, that's an hour. Um Well, hey, Greg, I don't know if you know, what,
0: but the Honest what? Bicycle Program is supported by Health IQ. I've heard that. Tell me more. Uh, health IQ is a life insurance company that celebrates the health conscious, including, dare I say, especially cyclists. Uh, so to our audience, who have been gracious enough to put us in their earbuds for their ride or their commute or their workday, why don't you go ahead and learn more? Visit uh, healthiq.com slash honestbicycleprogram. You can get a free quote. You can check out their life insurance frequently asked questions page to get some questions answered. Um, they have special rates, uh, lower rates um, that you can qualify for through their sort of special health IQ system. So go ahead, take a look. They don't just generate leads and forward it to an insurer. They really take you through a whole... Uh, specially crafted journey uh, just for you that takes into consideration uh, your lifestyle, your physical fitness and offers a really significant savings on life insurance. So learn more, get a quote, visit healthiqcom IQ.com honest bicycle and check them out. They support us. They're a big supporter of the wide angle podium network. And we really appreciate that.
1: Awesome. So do you have any uh, closing Closing thoughts?
0: I just think we should all be good to each other.
1: Yeah, be excellent to each other. Why not?
0: Yeah, excellent is way better than good. You're totally right. You're totally right.
1: Be excellent to each other. Like, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Wave to other cyclists. Or don't. Or don't. Do what you feel. Do what you feel like. Hey, look. It's some ways that you wave back. Don't you know? If 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 you know if you're in the zone or you miss someone because you're not paying attention, whatever, like you know, whatever, we'll give you we'll give you a mulligan. But it's some ways at you, I guess. Just wave back. It'll make them feel good about themselves. Yeah. Like why not? Hey, we're all in this together. We're all in it together. All right. Uh, take care of yourselves, and we will catch you next time.
0: Good night from the Honest Bicycle Program. i the